FIS, uh, which stands for Fidelity National Information Services, is a behemoth. It's listed on the New York Stock Exchange, a global leader in banking and payments technology, as well as consulting and outsourcing solutions. It's recently acquired one of the world's leading financial software and technology services companies, SunGuard. Uh, It's got 20,000 clients in 130 countries, 55,000 employees, $9.3 billion in revenue. And the company's next big idea is an online stock file solution. That says a lot about the times we're living in, I think. Now, firstly, for the benefit of our non-South African listeners, Brian Anderson, Head of Sales and Business Development at FIS. Do tell us what a stock file is and why FIS is so excited about creating a platform to support them. So what we have is the stock file is a community-led savings or an investment plan, Uh, whether they're referred to as societies, investment clubs. They have been around for hundreds of years, not uh, native to just the African continent. And so it's just an informal way of people supporting the community and saving and providing for capital events that would happen, whether that's something like paying tuition fees or buying annual grocery hampers on return to where you, you you live for your, you know, while you've migrated away from where you're working. Now, my mum is part of one. She lives in Zimbabwe. She's part of one which involves, I think, something like 12 ladies. Uh, I think it's exactly 12, actually, because they take turns getting a lump sum. You know, so if February, for argument's sake, is your month, then all the ladies, you know, all, everything they put in comes to you for that particular month. So they can actually put down deposits for things they couldn't otherwise afford. Great idea. And I think my wife is part of one, but that's more kind of a grocery club towards the end of the year. They put the money together and they do something for the community and you know some projects they do. Uh, I say this because I don't think it's as common an occurrence in other parts of the world. What have you found? And of all the things that FIS could get into <laughs> on the African continent, what with all these buzzwords flying around like the blockchain and uh, all sorts of other fintech innovations, why would you drill down on this? So the reason FIS is, uh, is is interested in that is obviously, as you mentioned, the acquisition of SunGuard previously. This was part of an innovation drive that as, as tech providers we run internally and uh, leadership is asked to think of ideas that uh, could be different and change the, you know, the, the landscape of how we use our technology, especially in emerging markets, which is where we're focused. And so FIS are even stronger in that they have uh, right the way down to innovation and technology hubs so it's it's in our dna to look for innovation i think what was important with the stockfall initiative is the fact that as you'd mentioned in america these were called christmas clubs like you're saying your mother in zim she uh, she has a uh, my turn so once a year there's uh, payments out this could be for distribution to buy materials to extend to your house there's a number of ways of how the informal sector or unbanked as we refer to it is actually able to procure capital nature items or items that require a large cash flow so you the concept is very much you save a little bit every month and you get a bulk sum everyone helps each other out and that's how the community now if you have a look at linking this to crowdfunding it's one of the things that's there it's a very similar way if you go to kenyan nairobi they have communities that are called sarkos everybody has to be part of sarkos if we look at our interest the reality is this is the start of savings and savings reforms and where does that end up if it's correctly done and correctly administered it is your wealth and retirement planning and that's really the interest of FIS. 
Okay, because um, I was kind of waiting to ask you if this is just a PR drive on your part. I mean, you're after bigger money, but definitely, uh, uh, definitely commercial incentive to 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 service this market. Yes, I think, you know, from a social responsibility angle, there is that. And uh, we are doing this as a part of our enterprise development as well um, in terms of FAIS's commitment to broad-based black economic empowerment. However, the big thing that we're trying to do here is our customers are the financial services participants. So what we're looking at is bringing the unbanked. If you look in South Africa, this is in excess of a 40 billion rand industry of cash. Okay, cash is fraught with theft. It can be lost or it can be misappropriated. And it brings with it social challenges as in people and families are devastated because money has been stolen because this all happens in cash. So the drive is to use modern technologies to allow the replacement of paper-based records to utilize new technologies, whether that is an EFT, whether that's a prepaid debit card or as advanced as Impesa and other you know, money transfers. So you're taking a lot of the elements that are in westernized banking and you're bringing the informal into more of a structured base and allowing that to grow and evolve over time because it is about creating wealth. And wealth is created not overnight, it's created over a long term. So let's talk access because... Uh, it- as much as there's a lot of growth in terms of mobile penetration, uh, internet use across the uh, across the continent, it's probably not moving as fast as any of any of us would like. And so, access in terms of this great idea, how does someone in rural in, in rural Rwanda benefit from this innovation? So I think you touched on an important thing. A lot of these community-led societies and investment clubs have a social impact and a social element. So they're often linked to either a church or some form of a social event. You don't want to take that away. That's the whole part of community. You want people still to meet. What we're trying to do is inside of the community are trusted people, whether they're referred to as treasurers or trustees, and they are tasked with administering these funds and this, these cash and investments. So what we're looking to provide is a web-enabled application. Okay, It's a complete platform that will allow the record-keeping to be done. It will allow the inputs to equal the cash in the bank. And that's the important thing because at the moment it's all based on trust. You do not, as an individual, know whether the treasurer actually deposited the money. Okay, so you, you, you're taking the prudence of financial management into place. You're giving access via the web. That means that this can be via a mobile device. It can be over a smartphone. It can be at a kiosk. It can be at any distribution channel. So you bring the banks into this now. So now you've got a bank. You've got a bank account. But the banks may be able to advance different products to the members. At the moment, the bank only knows the authorized signatory on the account. So the technology will allow the linking of all these different bits of information that at the moment sit on a piece of paper that could be lost, it could be left on a taxi, you don't know. So the the risks 
are eliminated by going into some form of digitization. So you now have an e-copy of a piece of information. That information can then be used to address banks. The banks can then offer cheap, low-cost banking solutions, be that card-based or transactive accounts. They could then offer potentially SMS notification, which the solution allows for. They can then, off the back of that, do debit order collections or even go down to using things like loyalty cards. So let's talk about intermediaries, which you've mentioned some, uh, the banks. And are you taking this to market yourselves? Are you speaking to banks? And uh, if you have partners, what is the interaction looking like in terms of, of, of taking this to the people? So we've worked very closely with, as we said, our, our customers are in the financial services arena. And so the participants there would be the insurers, the pension fund administrators and the banks. We've also, as we mentioned earlier, we've created a third-party administration entity called iGen, which is actually part of our enterprise development. So we've worked to create an enterprise that would offer independent administration services to the various societies. Okay, This is a business model that can be replicated in different geographies in different countries. And what we're offering is the technology platform. And this is an open platform that is allowed to be used. It's not exclusive to any one of those participants. And it's on a per-member charge. So it's a pay-as-you-go basis. It's aligned to the type of investment income. The key thing that we have here is we're looking to ensure that the cash and the investments that are made by the members of these societies starts to earn investment income. Because that's often what happens by nature. These uh, societies are either short-term, meaning they will, as you'd mentioned with your mother, they will pay for 11 months and in the 12th month they get money back. So, you know, that's if you link that, that's the same as a fixed deposit or a notice deposit. But they're not getting interest because it sits in a current account because money is coming out every single month. Okay, so the banks will offer better products to marry that up. If you look at the insurers, the insurers sell funeral policies. Yet one of the biggest societies in all of the countries is burial societies. Okay, so you know again, you could use mainstream banking products, insurance products, to offset. So therefore, your contribution now could actually have an investment element and a normal product. Okay, so those are very important things of where we're going to, where this product should evolve to. And ultimately, this solution we're offering is the same solution that administers global pension funds around the world today. So what you're doing is we're creating a platform that you could enter in today as an informal, unbanked person. You could have your contributions tracked that could track for 20, 30 years. You could have your distribution tracked. You could have your beneficiaries tracked. Everything that you have in mainstream banking. However, what we are trying to do is by the social element and the social interactions, you still keep the trust element involved because there is this disconnect between um, the unbanked having a lack of trust in terms of what sits in the formal banking sector. Now, let's talk about the API. Uh, you know, there's a you know, African developers complain, uh, at least listeners of our show often complain, that the financial sector on the continent is very reluctant to let developers into their back end to develop apps and, and further application, improve upon some of the great work, you know, that's already been done. And I'd, in, in our opinion, really speed up the, uh, the opportunity for, for, for adoption of these technologies. Are you letting, are you letting developers out there go, go crazy? Are you, are you opening your API up to that? 
So, correct. I think, um, you know, there's a distinction between uh, open source and uh, API-led. So, this is a robust platform and technology that has an open API. So, we have a web component. Uh, you've got a lot of uh, apps, whether that's Apple or Android. And there are a number of applications that are out in the marketplace right now in South Africa. And we will be engaging with those people to offer the robust back-end industrial member record keeping solutions because the member record then becomes a very very powerful financial instrument because it gives a person an identity and it gives them a track record in the financial services sector so if you look at where we've evolved to the stock files we have today in kenya there's sarcos sarcos are 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 co-ops they are banks Okay, they are investors of the diaspora of people who are traveling and working overseas. Recently, there was a Sarkos just bought a banking license in Kenya. So it's very important that this is the evolution of time. And as innovators, FIS want to be at the front line of that. So we welcome people to engage with us, looking at what they have. Some really nice apps that have been out and launched recently. We will offer them a back end and they can be the front end because What's relevant is that each of the communities will have a preference to something because this starts off with trust, okay? FIS would be an unknown entity. The mainstream banks are not necessarily trusted. The trustee and the treasurer of the community or the church or the group is already trusted, and that's fundamental to the success of this product. So you alluded to the model, uh, essentially how FIS makes money from this other, you know, uh, which is basically charging your financial, you know, your financial services clients. Um, but I definitely see a play for data here. And, and like you said, the, the, how critical um, the, the, the Darth of data on the continent is becoming for us actually getting ahead. How does FIS typically benefit from the data, the a ton of data, I imagine, that, you know, goes through the software that you guys create? So in, in, in some of our solution sets that we have, especially in the retail side, as you'd mentioned in the FIS, the payment space, uh, tracking of data, uh, tracking of transactive information is very, very key. If you look at things like anti-money laundering, if you look at how money is moved from accounts to uh, different or, or restricted areas or regions, it's very important for us and our clients to be protected from that. So that is front and center of what FIS and the, uh, what we refer to as our banking and payments area are very key on. We then take that and you start doing trending and you start doing analytics and, and behavioral studies. You start using databases to put together things like you mentioned earlier, blockchains and so forth, because that's ultimately what you want to do. You want to start creating single golden source records of bits of data that create a, a reference for people who at the moment are completely unknown. So, for example, if you have a look, as we're saying, there's 8.6 million members in South Africa of Stockfiles. There's 430,000 Stockfiles in South Africa, and there's 40 billion plus rand of cash that flows through these societies annually. It's a massive industry, and what you have in South Africa is a fraction of what you would have up in Kenya, Ghana, and the Nigeria. That's about what three billion odd, three billion odd US. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a it's a big industry. It's a now the the thing where it ties in further is this is cash that's sitting in bank accounts that the banks would love to be able to make a turn on, but how do you do that if you don't know how is this actually this society? Is it a uh, groceries? Therefore, we're going to have this money only for 
11 months or we're having this uh, at a birthday club where once a month their money is all withdrawn. So that's the product evolution. I think back to the data point, I think what's very important here is it starts giving people a financial identity. And that will become a unique identifier to allow them to enter into modern or westernized financial services where you could look at a home loan product because you've demonstrated I have been saving, I know how to make a monthly repayment and now we're offering a platform that will record that, that actually will become a record that you could take to your bank and say I have made 75 payments month by month without any default into my society. When does it launch? So we, we're aiming to put something out in Q3 of this year. So we're busy doing uh, some testing now and some pilots. The application's up and running. We had a soft launch at our FinTech 2020 event, and uh, we'll look to do some, some broader media and uh, final launch uh, somewhere in the middle of Q3. So for us, that's uh, any time after July. Right. Now, FIS has obviously been doing FinTech, quote-unquote FinTech, uh, longer than it's been a buzzword in the in the tech community, in the, at least in the tech startup community, uh, has the unprecedented attack on the status quo as far as you know global finance is concerned. H- has that taken FIS by surprise or are you guys quietly uh, f- feeding disruption <laughs> and uh, involved in, in, in all the big trends, uh, mobile money, uh, blockchain technology, etc.? So I think we we certainly are front and center of looking at uh, where markets are going. I think um, you know at our event here is one of the speakers spoke about the fact that if you are not thinking of what's happening in a year's time, you will not be in business because change is happening so rapidly. Um, digitization is is a massive drive because channels are where you are at. The customer now becomes king. It's not a physical infrastructure that's required. Mobile devices have changed everything in 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 africa certainly in east africa um impeza is probably one of the biggest success stories in any of the financial services markets it comes with its challenges because you actually have money flowing in an unregulated environment that was ultimately started by a mobile phone operator so we look at these we study these trends and we we influence them by ensuring that our solutions meet the needs secondly with all of this comes cybercrime and the ability to interact with large-scale data, with big data, changes it from being a small loss to a massive loss. So cyber crime is, is a huge focus. Uh, FIS offers risk as a service where we, because we are software owners, we actually work very closely with our clients to ensure that the security levels are met, that the requirements of financial information, sensitive data is appropriately handled, encrypted. So all of this is very much along the solutions that we bring out. And for us, this is what we drive through our innovation hubs that we have across the globe. We have four of those already, and uh, there's a new one which will be opening up shortly that will have a focus on emerging markets. So you're harnessing the chaos, basically. Well, I think that's a good way of doing it. If you, we're, we're creating our own blockchain of events, maybe. But I think, yes. Yeah. That's a good one. So I think, you know, from that perspective, you're correct. I mean, what we have is because we have such a broad service offering um, and our customers are looking more and more to uh, applications interacting as solutions. Therefore, you're getting business units that are now talking across our areas. We're in a very unique situation that is FIS. You have the ability to innovate 
consolidate and allow free flow of transactional information between multiple parts of the financial services participants. So it's exciting for us. Uh, we, we lead it uh, with uh, a number of our solutions. All these awards that we receive um, keep us at the forefront. But, you know, you, you cannot rest. Everything, who would have thought that you could actually pay for a meal using an SMS to someone who is, you know, 3,500 kilometers away from you? I mean, five years ago, people would laugh, Yeah. Also, uh, some years ago, Kodak and BlackBerry were award-winning companies. <laughs> well, exactly. I think that was part of the, the, the stuff that we had in our keynote address was just exactly that. You know, who, who thought that, you know, a digital imprint would have the impact it has? I think, as we've seen, you've got things like Bitcoin. Who would have thought that this could become a real currency? Who would have thought this could become a real transactive mechanism? Okay. It's amazing how things evolve. But if you look at it, it's, it's almost back to bartering. It actually is, yeah. And I mean, I have a theory, though, that uh, over the last few decades, the you know, the banks, I shouldn't just say the banks, really financial services, uh, big players in the financial services uh, field have been content to milk their legacy businesses. Uh, they haven't done nearly enough to bank the masses. They haven't needed to. They were making tons of money without, you know, the little guy involved. Um, uh, do you think that's accurate? And, and are they on the back foot now? You know, I think, um, you know, challenger technologies will allow you to have an element of disruptive uh, interventions. The thing that you have to look at is there is a lag in innovating and modernization. And it's something we chatted about as well, where the, the idea of change is easy. The execution of that is a little bit harder. And the change management component of that is even harder. So what you've got is you've got a consumer that's becoming more aware. They're becoming more and more demanding. So if you drive to financial inclusion, you have to meet the demands of today. So we've worked very closely. Uh, there's a, a Atom Bank is, a, is, a, is a, an, a new age online bank that they use FIS technologies. And that bank is so mobile okay so it's so modern they don't even have a website because it all runs over mobile technology so who would have ever thought that uh you know we need a web channel uh that's our digitization well maybe you don't maybe you need as you mentioned earlier just a series of online apps that allow information to flow in that given an understanding blockchains and and you know correlations between pieces of information you can start correlating that the one thing that new entrants have is they do not have to deal with the history of legacy okay so to your point i think some of the the older banks it's a lot easier to start something new than to re-engineer what you have i'll qualify that by saying the one thing you do want this is people's livelihoods you want consistency you want robust technologies so whilst there's been lots of challenger technologies unfortunately there's been lots of here today, gone tomorrow's. So, you know, you've got to balance up how you manage real robust controls, governance, and service offering to, you know, meeting customer demand. And the easiest way of doing that is choose your demographics and choose who you believe you service. You know, I mean, I think uh, Capitec, the, you know, the African banks uh, coming back into the market space, they have the demographics. So their customer base are consumers of these type of products. So again, what you have and what we're trying to address is the fact that uh, you do not have a uh, constitution. 
So how do I open a bank account? How do I become FICAD? How do you KYC your client if you don't have this information? How does the client get that information to you? Do they have to travel for 4,000 kilometers to get? You know, so all of these items are where the service providers of technology can eliminate that challenge that the banks are imposed upon them by the regulators. And it's all being imposed because if I don't have those controls, when there is money stolen, how do I actually manage that? So it's it's very innovative stuff that's happening. It's new products and the, the, the new agile banks are looking at servicing that layer. The important thing to understand though is it is a low cost market. So cost of platforms need to be appropriate. And you have to take a long-term view. The reality is that a customer, like you're saying with your wife, if she's happy with Capitech, she is more likely to take more products, more offerings, and put her money that she's saving with Capitech than moving somewhere else. And that's very important for financial inclusion and customer retention. And so you're sort of in the same boat as FIS, you know, in terms of legacy. I mean, you're a massive firm. You're listed on the New York Stock Exchange, tons of clients. You touched on your the innovation hubs you have around the world. Uh, I'm curious to know, you know, to, to get some insight into the internal process that's followed at FIS to identify a, a trend or an opportunity and develop that into a, a viable product and service. And do you face the same kind of difficulties large uh, institutions face in trying to get a good idea up and running quickly? I think uh, for us as, as technology providers, we are expected to innovate. So therefore, I think it's a lot easier for us. What we are also then privileged to have is our customers using us as trusted partners often engage with us to find solutions to what their customers are asking them. So I think the ask part is not that difficult. What you have to do, and that's where as software developers, if you have a robust system in place of how you track innovation, how you create commercial models that mean it's not about necessarily making the biggest profit. It's about ensuring that what you put out there is sustainable and lasts for the long journey because with all of these new age technologies, what you want to be able to do is build once and reuse multiple times. That is how you get operational efficiencies. It's how you get the power of one to be the power of 10,000 because it's replicated. So for us, we have those mechanisms in place. We run uh, think tanks inside of our organization. We work with organizations like Google. Um, so as a state financial services organization, to hear Google in the same place, the same name is quite innovative. It's quite interesting. But it's all driving to the fact that consumers have a need. You have to meet that need. And technology is the one way that you can meet the masses. You can get the commercial efficiency by having the economies of number one and replicate 300,000 times. So again, outsourcing becomes quite key. It talks about having technology that's available, it's ready. And these are some of the challenges that you have in the banks. They have a priority, they have a fixed budget, and they have shareholders and investors. In a software company, we have shareholders, we have investors. What they're looking for us to do is innovate and create future solutions. So it is easier for us to do. And working very closely with our clients, it's a win-win situation. Yeah, I speak to fintech startup founders all the time. And a lot of the, 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 the trouble they get is at the 
proof of concept stage where they really just need a bank to trust them with a few months of trial time, you know, and, and they don't have access to the database or a client base to try out an idea on, you obviously wouldn't struggle with that problem, would you? I think uh, everyone has the same challenges. It's about how you go about... Uh, no, they don't. <laughs> well, okay, Fortune 500s have different challenges. I think so. <laughs> but I think what's important is that uh, FIS understands emerging markets. They understand international businesses versus mainstream tier one markets. And having that in place, what that allows you to do is it allows you to apply the same weightings to innovations that are in very secure state uh, economies, markets, marketplaces. What you innovate in UK is not what you're going to innovate in Africa. However, there's something that I'd mentioned earlier, which is fundamental. A, a financial services product starts off as something. Okay, So you will find if you go through history, these informal societies and stockpiles started in every society. They were community lending money to each other, supporting everybody, and eventually that's how banks started. If you have a look at cooperative banks, it's exactly how they were. They were agriculturally based. People got together to trade. Using all of that, that was the whole commodity of a commercial settlement happening somewhere. We spoke about bartering earlier. So for us, we have access to the right people. We have access to the retail banks, the insurers, the investment houses. So in terms of it, I think for us as solution providers, we have a responsibility to innovate and we have a responsibility to make sure that that innovation is in line with what our clients are looking for and they're being driven by their customers. Take the Stockfell platform you're about to launch. What does the development cycle for that idea look like? Uh, how long did it take? I mean, where did it start? Was that a homegrown idea? How does that work in a practical sense from good idea to something you're talking about on the African Tech Roundup? So I think um, what actually happened was this is something that I had been looking at doing, uh, dealing with the fact that our ask from our management team was how do we bring more of the unbanked into the mainstream because that way we become more of a value provider to our clients so that was the ask from our senior executives we then had uh, specific leadership programs that the challenge there was how do you move an agenda forward and so what I did was I came with a local idea that with a bit of research you could see it was actually a global item that had had a history to it, but as someone like Richard Branson says, you know, it's not about reinventing, it's about doing something better and cheaper. So that was how we looked at it. So we have massive technology. There's no point rewriting anything. Scale it down to what's required. Innovate through a new front end, and thereby we have a long-term solution because the long-term view is that the Stockfile member will become eventually the owner of a unit trust one day. That's how we know we've been successful. So in our world, we had mechanisms in place that allowed the idea I had together with a, a, a youngster called Monobisi Lutuli, who is part of our enterprise development, um, which is now called iGen. Him and I sat down, we met at uh, Park Station, we met up in Pretoria as well by the Gau train, he's a partially sighted individual, and and we started chatting about this idea. And from that first conversation to where we are today has been less than 18 months. So a Fortune 500 company showing that type of tech innovation just shows you the commitment of our executives and the demand that our executives place on, on management to innovate. 
we're big fans of the lean startup methodology out here. And um, yeah, it definitely sounds pretty lean. And I, I'm, I'd be interested to know, given all the data you guys crunch and, and handle for, for different clients, what are some of the biggest blind spots, do you think, in terms of data on the content? Because for all that data, we have less than we need you know, to, to really uh, make data-driven decisions that will impact the future of the continent. Look, it's a fantastic point. And I think the reality is this. You have data and you have data elements. You have to create something that uniquely links these different bits of data. So we touched on blockchain. If you have a look, in South Africa, you have a unique identifier. It's called your ID number. If you go to America, it's social security. If you look at the rest of the continent, there's still countries on Africa that do not have personal identification cards. So how do you actually independently validate that this is the person if you don't have a unique identifier? So you're correct. The data and the shortage of data will be driven by what uniqueness you can link to it. What have you got that's become quite powerful? Impeza. We have a reconciliation solution for mobile payments. How did we get that to work so so well in Nairobi was we used the mobile number as the unique identifier. So somewhere, somehow, you will be able to link a unique number. We now, with our technologies that we have of ETLs and uh, blockchains, uh, a solution that we have called uh, Toonami and, and Pinpoints, you can use that data to map that and match it through database technologies linking bits of information. Suddenly now I've got one record. Now I've got one record with 32 attributes to it. Now suddenly I've got something that's got 40 attributes to it. And that's how you will have this massive explosion of big data. And that is the exciting part of Africa. You've got years of learnings and you've got the ability to leapfrog. So the exciting part of emerging markets is they get to choose the best of the lessons that have been learned in the past. So big data is going to be enormous. We're going to start finding countries coming online. Ethiopia, I think this year, is issuing something like 55 million ID cards. Uh, I know that in places like Uganda, Ghana, they didn't even have land registries. So how do I buy a piece of land if I don't have any unique identifiers? This is all very, very exciting. And that's what makes Africa probably the best and the last of the frontiers that has explosive opportunities. You have over 1.3 billion people just in sub-Saharan Africa. You sort of preempted one of my one of the questions I was going to ask you, which what do you think, you know, what is the next big thing in terms of fintech and, and, and data in general? And and you you sort of answered that. I want to ask the question, uh, you know, I want to ask it backwards in a way. I'm going to ask you to put on the, your futurist cap and predict which business models and or companies, which you won't, I, I know you wouldn't, <laughs> I know you're not going to say company, which companies, you don't want to tick anyone off. Um, um, but yeah, if you're brave enough, which business models and or companies within tech or the financial sector, do you think are going to bite the dust in the next decade? And why? Making predictions is not a great thing to do. What I can say as a prediction is... But it's a fun thing to do. <laughs> it's a fun thing. So, yeah, exactly. If I could predict what the rand will be tomorrow, I'd be a very wealthy guy as well. So I think the reality is if you do not innovate, okay, you will not be around in the next 10 years. That is relevant to any company you have a look at the innovation of uber so now you can get a taxi uber will be in financial services okay if you have an equivalent of uber something as phenomenal as impeza absolutely uh, unbelievable however it hasn't been successful in south africa 
okay and you've had to create in the western uh, side of of africa you've had to create their equivalent of that so i think what you're going to start seeing is you're going to see a lot of agile um, apps that happen online there will be a fantastic way of accumulating data points. The challenge you have with that is where do you put that data and how do you manage that data and how do you then use that data to give you predictive trends and market consumers. I mean, if you have a look at Nigeria, what, what their biggest uh, growth was uh, was their equivalent of Bollywood, uh, Hollywood for the Western world. They have Nollywood. I mean, this is online old media. Okay, so you cannot predict where the next one is going to come from. Be the, where the next one is going to come from is one thing. You have to have something that is affordable and it is consumer-driven. If you have that, you have a market because what you have with social media and all of these other intrusions is you have the ability to market phenomenally quickly, very efficiently, okay, what you do with that data becomes hugely important. From our perspective, we see, as we had mentioned, risk as a service is the single big thing because you must understand the Americans, the Russians, all these people in the old Cold Wars will know that information is power. What you've got to look at is that, um, you know, in our space, for example, let me, let me try to answer it by putting something that's relevant to what we have, which is, you know, we have a piece of software that goes in, it identifies your customer base, and it starts searching through your internal services to identify links and hooks that you would maybe in a meeting room with 30 people have Here's a meeting one, it'll take 20 meetings, guys, let's go and do this. This technology of linking common data sources is allowing you to say, well, if someone is coming on to the landing page to look for a home loan, okay, what, if you're buying a home, what else would you need? Surely you need a lawyer, surely you need a removal company, surely you need to be looking at uh, house insurance. So if that is all happening real time, on the customer, what you have is you almost have robotic customization happening of the front end screen that your customer is interacting with. Putting up there a, well, here's a car finance scheme when someone is looking for a house, okay, or trying to sell someone a house who's at 65 who really would be more interested in insurance, a life, a retirement, an endowment of some nature. That is very, very much the power. And that's exactly what we are starting to do in the retail side of things is that trending around um, people, behaviors, and what should be the next offer you have. That's how you own the value chain of that customer. So, you know, the fact that you've got all these companies that are identifying you. I mean, here's something that was, uh, I, was I was yesterday, I was fetched, I went to get my car, fetched it from a service. The, the driver who fetched me from phoning me once, by the time I got into the car, knew my name. I'd never met the gentleman before. He knew my name. He knew where I worked. Okay. And all of this came from a downloaded app called, uh, I, I think it was called True Identifier or something. I mean, it was like, how do you know that? So this is how available you are to the world now. Whether you like it or not, you touch social media, you're there. That is a phenomenal commercial opportunity for anyone who has a value proposition. But also I'd imagine a, a, a valuable opportunity for us as civil society to hold um, you know, big business, government to account in a way that perhaps they've never had to be held to before. 
Accountability is key. I think whether we like it or not, we don't like to talk about it. But in Africa, we have challenges and we have to address those. Transparency is the one. Accountability is the other. That is what the, you know, the first world economies, that's their first pillar. That integrity is what you have to have. That gives investors confidence. It gives people confidence. You know, the number of people that say don't travel to South Africa because they saw something on social media. People don't realize the impact of that. Someone just puts out a little tweet about something and you're now touching 20, 30 million people that you, you didn't even know you were saying well, thanks for speaking to us. Uh, you must uh, do so again, man. And we'll be looking out for this innovation to launch, uh, trying it out, I'm sure. The, the key thing for us is that we, we're offering a platform that is open to any users, whether you are an independently managed treasurer of a society or the largest banks. Brian Anderson, Head of Sales, Business Development at FIS. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you very much. And uh, good luck to all your listeners. And uh, keep your data good, clean, and pure. <laughs> As always. <laughs>